This is Dan White, author of the Smart Branding Book, How to Build a Profitable and Resilient Brand. And you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which has been named by Forbes and LinkedIn, amongst others, as one of the top marketing podcasts. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since I get to read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection in with a message that you're a listener, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. All right, let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome back Dan White to talk about his book, The Smart Branding Book, How to Build a Profitable and Resilient Brand, published by Lid Publishing. Dan White is a marketing insights innovator. His career includes a decade as an insights professional, another as a brand advisor, and a third as a chief marketing officer. He's the author of Two other books, The Smart Marketing Book, The Definitive Guide to Effective Marketing Strategies, featured on episode 316 of the Marketing Book Podcast back in 2021, and The Soft Skills Book, The Key Difference to Becoming Highly Effective and Valued. Dan co-developed Brands, spelled B-R-A-N-D-Z, the world's biggest brand equity measurement system, and his thinking has shaped the design of leading copy test and brand tracking methodologies. As a brand and communications expert, he has advised famous billion-dollar brands on how to thrive, and his summaries and trademark visualizations have earned praise from luminaries in the marketing, advertising, and media industries. And interesting fact, he lives near Stratford-upon-Avon, birthplace of William Shakespeare. Dan, congratulations on the smart branding book, and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me back. I mean, I'm amazed you invited me back, but I'm very, very, very pleased. Are you kidding? I am a big fan of your books, as are uh, some listeners we're going to talk about. Now, just a couple things I want to ask you about, because I'm so excited to be able to speak to you again. You live near Stratford-upon-Avon. I have never been there. And I was wondering, is there like a a Shakespeare theme park with like roller coasters and things there? (laughs) Oh, no. I'm, 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 I'm embarrassed you said that. No, it's a very classy place. Oh. You know? Well, they, they should do that, you know. No, 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 no. You know, we're, we're, uh, we're British. We're very reserved. We're very respectful oh, of our heritage. No. Yeah. You know? just, it's, we're talking listen, about hundreds of years ago. I don't want to tell the folks in the, the town near you, you know, how to do things, but they should think about that. And I just, you know, Dan, there is no off position on the genius switch. So, Dan, let's let's move on here. It, but no, hold on. We do have a big wheel. Does that count? Like a, a big really wheel, big like wheel. a Ferris wheel. A Ferris wheel. It used to be in Birmingham, which is obviously the second biggest. Just up city. the road, yeah. Just up the road, um, and they got bored of it. I don't know why. Um, and they brought um, it. To, they took it to Stratford. Yeah. Oh. Sure. You so see. It, it, Great minds think alike, Dan. It, sure. Okay. It's not a theme park. It's more classy than that, but you know, move on. Well, just something to think about. So, you know, Dan, now speaking of Shakespeare's time, I was wondering, at your wedding reception, was this traditional English wedding song played? This is a nice day for a white wedding. <laughs> oh, no, hang it's on. It's a very it's, romantic song. It's, it's a 
beautiful romantic song and hang on it's it's bugging me now because i'm i'm in my mid 50s now and that's, i'm trying to remember no don't, you're your billy idol billy idol, idol. yes win. i win. got it i got it i got it before the time limit yes yes um no we didn't play that at our reception well listen um i hope that whenever you hear that song on the radio it reminds you of your special day um, oh thank you so much that's so, very lovely of you yeah, yeah. you know yeah, it's it's great to be interviewing another author from the UK, and there seem to be a lot of marketing book podcast listeners there, and I hear from them all the time, every week. And I recently had a call from a listener in England who had some suggestions for me on how to improve my interviews. Here's an excerpt from the call. Shut up! Shut up! Will you shut up? And I rarely hear from listeners, so... you know, I, Yeah, I appreciate uh, any, any kind of feedback from, from the yeah. listeners. <laughs> That was Monty Python, right? Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, I, th- I thought, was, oh, lovely. That, that, that's part of our heritage, you know? Yes. Monty Python is, it. well, it is exactly what we're like in Britain. Really? Well, and there's, yes. as I told you, my English golden retriever who is yep. behind me right now sleeping, his name is Monty. Your English culture is everywhere. Sure, sure. Anyway, as we record this, today is... May 5th, or as it's called in the United States, Cinco de Mayo. And it's a, a celebration of, of Mexican heritage. And apparently it's not very well celebrated in Mexico, as far as I understand. It's more of a like a marketing innovation of beer and wine and tequila companies in the United States. Tequila. So in preparation for this interview, I've been drinking tequila all morning. So today is Cinco de Mayo, but tomorrow yeah, okay. is the coronation of King Charles. It is. Will you be watching this on the BBC, perhaps? King Charles III. Yes. Well, no, I, I, I think I'm going to go down to my local community centre. Oh. Uh, well, because there's a big, it's a lovely community hall. Um, I, I'm in a smallish vi- village. This is uh, Bidford on Avon, right? In Bidford on Avon, okay. down down the road from Stratford on Avon. Um, and yeah, they're going to have a huge screen showing the coronation live and all the people who come to what we call the warm hub, which is something I get involved with, um, come down and we're going to all watch it together. So I'm hoping to go down there. To, you know, oh, tomorrow. that sounds great. That sounds great. Mm. Well, I was invited to the coronation by King Charles, but I had to decline because I'm, I'm interviewing you. So, <laughs> I was anyway. going to say, is this a joke? <laughs> no, like, no, I wouldn't joke about no, this. King no, Charles sh- and I, we exchanged oh, oh. some voice messages, and he, you know, right. he, he said he was disappointed that I couldn't attend. No, because um, by now you, you can't. You know, your, your flights are going. It's too late to get here. Well, oh. no, but he, he, he I'm he, so sorry. He understood, I, and he said, "Look, I." I understand, Douglas, the Marketing Book Podcast. I wish Dan White the best with his new book. I'll have to give him a call sometime. And and he knew that I was worried that I was disappointing him, but he he really put me at ease. And here's part of the the voice message that he left for me. Let not your heart be troubled. He just he deeply understood how I felt. He's so empathetic. That is so empathetic. Yeah. Do you know my 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 dad met him? uh, Really. Wow. Yeah, my dad. Um, he's a he was a doctor, a, a general practitioner mainly, but he also served on lots of committees, you know, to help um, 
further the cause of medicine in the UK. And he got—he was awarded an MBE. Can you believe it? I'm very proud of him. Really proud of him. Um, so he went to Buckingham Palace, and uh, yeah, he was awarded his MBE by, well, Prince Charles, as he was then, of course, mm-hmm. um, about twenty years ago. So yeah. And tell folks outside the Commonwealth what MBE stands for. Member of the British Empire. It's one of the awards that um, the sovereign of the state awards to you know, gives to people. Well, that is really very, mm. very impressive. So let's get sure. on to the book here. I think we should because, you know, we've been talking for like 25 minutes and we haven't even talked about marketing yet. Well, just a little bit. You know, Cinco de Mayo, it's a really a, <laughs> yeah, no, sure. a, a yeah, marketing sure. invention. Yeah. So the book is endorsed by a number of people, including uh, mm. two professors for whom I have great respect. One of them is Professor Byron Sharp, director of the Ehrenberg Bass Institute and author of How Brands Grow, which we're going to talk about. And he wrote... On one hand, I do worry that simplified, quote, marketing for dummies type books don't reflect well on our profession. On the other hand, this book is better than most university brand management books, which for all their seriousness, do a poor job of representing the real evidence. Yeah. Wow. That's quite an endorsement. And and also, yeah, there's an endorsement from Professor Thomas Elmer, marketing professor at Westchester University in uh, Pennsylvania. And he writes, hundreds of books have been published on the topic of brand building, yet not one compares to this outstanding new book by Dan White. No one comes close to Dan's unique and effective style of business education. And Professor Tom Elmer is is a an acquaintance of mine. He's been a longtime listener of the Marketing Book Podcast, and I first got to know him one day a few years ago when a bottle of scotch showed up at my office from him. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That's how I first learned him. He, he said, yeah, I love your show. I've been using it all in my classes. And now I – the reason I mention that is I've, I've moved on from scotch to Cabernet Sauvignon. So if there are any listeners that would like to send me a bottle of wine, oh, you, come on. you're free that's, to do that. That's cheap, Douglas. Come on. <laughs> If you're in the UK, take care of Dan. So, And then yeah, a couple sure. years ago, Professor Elmer was in town where I live here in Virginia with his lovely wife, and they took me out to dinner at a very nice restaurant, which was very generous of them to do. And again, to the listeners, if you happen to be anywhere near where I live, you don't have to you know, take me to a fancy restaurant like the Elmers did. There are several Taco Bells in my city, and you're afraid to take me out to dinner. So, Yo quiero Taco Bell. So, so, Douglas, do you usually use your podcast to try and get freebies? Is, is that is that's that the only more, reason I do it? Yeah, sure. Yeah. No, I, I get that. I but to be honest, that's tacos and wine. Yeah, yeah. And, and tacos and wine. No, but t- Tom, Tom, um, I, I think he sent me something much more valuable than than was it scotch? Yeah, yes, scotch. he sent me some scotch. No, he sent me the most wonderful thing, and it's a trophy, right? And it says Dan White. 2021 Marketing Guru Champion, and it's a magnificent trophy. Wow! Um, I know, and it's it's like um, it's like about a foot and a half tall, and at the top it has this sort of golden figurine, I suppose you call it, of someone throwing an axe. Now <laughs> you cannot beat that. You cannot beat no. that. No, I use this in all my uh, you know training videos to say, look, take me seriously. See this? That's from Tom. I don't have one of those, so no, exactly, you know exactly, exactly. So, apologies. That's great. That 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 is great. And you know, I've actually been able, invited to speak to his uh, class 
his marketing students, and he is the most enthusiastic marketing professor, and I just hope that his students appreciate Maybe when they're older, they'll appreciate how good he is and, and, and enthusiastic, and he really focuses on the right things. Yeah. He and I are of, a, of the same mind. So this is a sh- uh, another one of your very short books, and I applaud you for writing a short book because it occurs to me that it's much more difficult to write a short book than a long book. And also, you know, there's something about me as a reader. When an author writes a really short book about a big topic – they generally really know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I think you certainly do. And also, you. you drew all the wonderful illustrations in this book. So when you asked if I've ever seen you, I've only seen illustrations of you. I've never actually seen a, a photo. So, and, and in your intro, I mentioned all these illustrations. They are just wonderful. It's, 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 it's amazing. So Thank you. I want to read an excerpt from page uh, two, and uh, we'll dive, dive into a few questions here. You write, a company's long-term commercial success relies on it delivering products or services that live up to customers' expectations. This drives repeat purchasing. In any competitive market, however, a growth strategy based on product superiority is unsustainable. Innovations are soon copied since patents only offer limited protection. Competitors launch Me Too products without high research and development costs. This makes brand building a necessary tool to drive growth and profit while making the brand more resilient to competitive threats. The concept of a brand is straightforward. It is something potential customers recognize that conjures a set of mental associations. Powerful positive associations make people more likely to buy the product, while negative associations may drive them away. However, building a successful brand is not simple. It delivers large commercial rewards, but requires money, creativity, and patience. The Smart Branding Book is for anyone looking to understand why brand building is a sound investment as well as how to conceive nurture, and get the most from a brand. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Dan White, let's go to page nine. And you write, a brand can mean different things to different people. (laughs) I think that's certainly true. Please share with us your definition that's useful for marketers. Yeah, I thought about this a lot. I think it's important for marketers to really understand what a brand is in terms of how it exists in the consumer's brain. Because it only exists really in the consumer's brain. I mean, a useful way of thinking about a brand is that it is all of the mental connections and the responses to those mental connections that people have in relation to the brand's name in their mind. Does that make sense to you, Douglas? Absolutely. And that's why it's so difficult. (laughs) Because (laughs) so many things can can make up those perceptions. And actually, there's a great line on Mm. 12, page 12, you see, branding refers to the efforts a company makes to shape consumer perceptions to make its products more likely to be bought at the asking price. price yeah. So it really exists in the mind of that consumer, and it's, uh, it's not a logo. It's not what you say about your, yourself, generally, I, I think. And I think that uh, people aren't terribly trustful of what companies say about themselves. But we mentioned Byron Sharp earlier. Let's, let's now talk about how brands grow as well as the book um, 
how brands grow by sure. so on page 13 you write that there are four ways to grow your brand which might not surprise some folks you know get more people to buy it charge more for it get existing buyers to buy it more often and retain more customers than previously and you go on to write that in practice long term growth almost always comes from getting more people to buy your brand. Can you yeah. talk about the all the scientific evidence that is in Byron Sharp's book that, that supports this? It's kind of like, it's a truth. It, it, it's absolutely unrefutable when you look at all the evidence, which is that if you want to grow, okay, you can, you can grow your brand temporarily for a few months or whatever by doing some tactical things. But if you want to grow a big, big brand, you are going to need more people to buy you over time. You know, more customers for more reasons. Um, it just doesn't, there, there's no data that suggests you can grow it purely by just cranking up the price again and again and again. Yes, you can get a short-term gain from that. Just like selling more to your current customers will help you. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It will help you, but a little bit and for the short term. Mm -hmm. But it's really limited. I mean, you look at the the relationships between um, um, brand size and penetration. Bigger brands have more buyers, they just do. It, it, they don't have you know a small amount of buyers buying them again and again or paying a huge premium. It just doesn't work that way. If you want to grow in the long term, you're going to have to attract more people to your brand uh, and get them to buy it and, and to carry on buying it. Now, th- that doesn't mean to say, you know, th- this has lots of implications. It, it, for one thing, it means that your product has to be good. Because if you – well, I know it sounds obvious, but people don't always – think that way if, if a good product means you don't lose people and therefore you attract people and you use less it's it's a, the leaky bucket is one of the most useful analogies i think mm-hmm. in in all of marketing is it at, at any point in time there will be people who drift away from your brand for a load of reasons yeah you can't some of them you have no um opportunity to prevent you know, it could be their life stage changes and the product or the category is no longer relevant to them, etc. Um, so you need to keep on attracting more people. And if you get attract more people than you lose, you, your penetration grows and your brand grows. And it's, it's almost as simple as that, I would say. It's interesting because, uh, you know, long-time listeners may have heard me remind them that most companies aren't doing enough to sell to their current customers. And they, they should do that. But it's interesting where you uh, write about you and, and Byron Sharp write about how you know marketing activities designed mainly for existing customers are unlikely to help grow your brand. So mm. it's a it's helpful. Can you explain the concept of uh, mental availability, which which Byron Sharp talks about, and which was actually recently discussed in my interview with Louis Gadima about the second edition of his book Bullseye Marketing, where he was talking about the same book by Byron Sharp. Well, yeah, I think mental availability is an important concept for marketers. The way I think of it is, you know, successful brands come to mind very quickly and very easily when people are thinking about buying the category. Mm -hmm. That's my definition of mental availability. In other words, I need a new car. I need a new 
sweatshirt. I, I don't know where that came from, but you know, it's like, well, okay. When you think about your needs, you, you think about, you know, I need this thing. If a brand comes to mind, it has a much better chance of being chosen than brands that don't come to mind. And it, it, there's a bias that it's, it's one of the many biases in the brain. It's like the brain usually thinks that the, the, the brand, the, the thing that comes to mind is probably right. Now, mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that's quite fascinating. And, and that's because you have to make quick decisions um, if you go back in time, you know, to survive. <laughs> you, know? you know, if you, I, I usually use a, a lion or a tiger in this example, <laughs> but, you know, if it's like a tiger comes into view and you go, you know, my gut instinct is that this is dangerous and I should <laughs> right. run the other way. You know, it, it helps. It's helpful. But that same instinct means that if something comes to mind quickly, it's probably the right thing. And that's why mental availability of a brand is probably more important than most people think it is. Yes. You write, uh, mental availability is created and maintained through brand building. Brands grow if they are mentally available and physically available, i.e. Yeah. quick and easy to buy where and when consumers want to buy the category. So let's uh, jump to another topic, which is of great interest to me, and I think it's uh, misunderstood. And it actually came up quite a bit in another recent interview uh, with Andy Milligan on the book he co-authored, Myths of Branding, uh, which I, I recommend to everyone. I, if you haven't seen that, uh, I think you'd really like that book. He lives in London, so I'm happy to introduce you guys. Thanks. Let's talk about who is responsible for branding. And I want to jump over to page 80. <laughs> you write that in some companies, brand building is the sole responsibility of the marketing team. The brand is seen as a consequence of advertising. However, this mode of thinking gets in the way. I explain what you mean there and, and who is responsible for branding. Well, everyone in the company, kind of. I mean, <laughs> why is it about branding? I mean, is and yet, and yet, companies want to say, "Oh no, that's a marketing department thing." Yeah, but to be honest, the the, the people, no, the people, that the, the team that has the biggest influence on branding is probably the R and D department. The people who come up with a product that's going to be sold, you know, because fundamentally, a good product that people uh, experience and, and love the experience and, and feel it's, it's exactly what they wanted and is better than other ones they've tried, that is one of the biggest driver back to how people perceive the brand. Mm -hmm. Because they've had an experience of it. Experience of brand is the biggest influence on their brand perceptions. Now, it's not to say that advertising and other influences aren't important, but they are probably secondary yes. in the long run to the actual product or service experience. Mm -hmm. So for me, the pr product is always going to be king. You, you know, you need to have a great product. And uh, for me, product encompasses customer experience that is wrapped around the product. Um, and, and therefore, you know, that's important. Advertising can ex uh, amplify the effects of having a good product by flagging it and highlighting it to lots of people who will then try it and love it. Sure, which I think was probably more powerful back in the days of the captive audience, which we no longer have, and, and everyone now has a megaphone. So <laughs> if, if all these, it's all these different experiences that influence the brand, which is why, like you said, the customer experience is, 
is really so important as well as the product. Where should marketers focus their limited resources? It goes back to that question of mental availability. I think that the, the, the most important thing that marketers can do is to make their brand as memorable and salient as possible. Now, the reason I say that is because we know that just having great salience of a brand encourages people to actually try it. And then after that, of course, that the experience itself will have a big influence on whether they like it and buy it again. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. So I think it's just important that, you know, you know, the CEO is basically responsible for the brand because there's so much more that goes into it than just what the, the marketing folks are, are working on. The, the way your company sells is a big part of your brand because it influences all those perceptions people have about right. your company. So, Dan, as I mentioned, as we record this, uh, today is Cinco de Mayo. So let's talk about piñatas. Okay. Oh, yes. That's, that's one of my favorite topics. I had Actually, a feeling. No, well, kind of. It's also one of my sorest topics. Oh, ooh, ooh. Well, now you've, you've gotten everyone's interest. I, I want to write um, – let's see. On page 41, you write, <laughs> you can define what you want your brand to become using the brand piñata. Yeah. Which was first introduced in the smart marketing book. Yeah. So, Senor Blanco, que es la piñata? <laughs> oh, I get the Mexican theme at last. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a bit slow. But yeah, I've got it now. No, no, this is a sore point for me, I'm afraid. Uh-oh. Well. Okay, look. Let's I, hear I, it. I'll tell you the truth. Okay. It's just you and I, me, so, you know. Okay. No sure, one's probably sure. listening at this point anyway. So, no, yeah. no, 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 no. We've, we've waffled on to, to, too much. Um, I came up with the brand piñata, which is the only thing that is repeated uh, between my first book, the Smart Marketing book, and my new book, the Smart Branding book, right? Because mm-hmm. it, it's central to everything, so I had to repeat it. I, I hope, you know. Hopefully if there was one thing to bring forward, it was definitely yeah. going to be that. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and even this knuckleheaded interviewer, he, mm. even, he even remembered spotted it. it. So, yeah. He spotted it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Um, the thing is, I, I thought, well, I thought it was one of my, my breakthrough moments <laughs> where I thought, oh, I've got a framework. And not only a framework, but a framework that I can use in all of the wonderful consultancy workshops I'm going to sell on the back of my first book. <laughs> okay. And I thought, and I, I'm not joking. I even bought a pinata, uh, you know, the classic kind of star shaped pinata. Yes. Like you've illustrated in the book. Like, like the illustration mm-hmm. from Amazon, only about 20 or 30 pounds. I can't remember. Um, and all the sweets to fill it with. And I had this vision of running these wonderful, wonderful workshops where we would talk around the concepts of the piñata, which um, we may cover in a minute. Um, but more importantly, at, at, at key moments during the workshop, I would hand the, I don't know, the brand manager this huge, what's the word? Is it a baton? I th- like I a stick or a... Stick, a stick yeah. to hit the piñata. Here in America, we use uh, baseball bats. Yeah, perfect. 
absolutely. In 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 Britain, we'd use rounders bats. You, you can look it up on on Google later. And 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 the idea is, once we'd nailed an aspect of the brand we needed to define, one of the uh, the arms of the pinata, that that brand manager or whoever you know led that section would be able to hit it and release the the, the wonderful sweets from it. And by the end of it, we'd have beaten the pinata and gorged ourselves on all the glucose sign me up i, I want to be I there I have, want... have you done this you see i told you it was a sore point no never because i came up with this about a month before the first uk lockdown oh. of, yeah i know and you know things move on and you get on to other things so it's never happened if anyone out there <laughs> who's based in a location that I can fly to conveniently without using too much aviation fuel. I would love to do this. Um, All right. Let's make it happen, people. Let's make it happen. Yeah. It, it, it would be so fun and and hopefully relevant to your business as well. So. Well, so let's let's go through the piñata. Talk talk sure. about that. Okay, so yeah, it has obviously it has uh, one, two, three, four, six. It's an acronym. It's, <laughs> it is indeed an acronym uh, where the P stands for proposition. You know, I, I always use Snickers. You know, the, the yes. candy bar? Snickers Great candy. example. It's, 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 a, it's the best example. So it's the clearest. It's the clearest example. So I tend to use it. So the proposition is, you know, Snickers, it fills you up when you're hungry, right? Simple mm-hmm. as that. Very simple. What does it do for you? Now, the insight that they have used to develop some amazing advertising, amazing advertising, is their insight related to the brand proposition is that people's temperament changes when they're hungry. In fact, when I first did this chart, I hadn't heard of the word hangry. Have you come across hangry? Oh, I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, merged. Obviously, you get angry when you're hungry. Mm-hmm. People know that. It's, a, it's an insight people recognize related to, to food. Um, then, then, then uh, So that's uh, P-I. At the end of Piñata is there are needs that the brand Snickers fulfills, right? And they include things like have, people need a mid-morning snack quite often. Sometimes they need a snack on the go, you know, like when they're traveling and they haven't got time for a proper meal. Um, and let's face it, sometimes you get the, the late night munchies and a, a Snickers bar is perfect for that. So you have a set of needs the brand fulfills worth Defining so that's P I N A. A is associations. Okay, so that is um, what associations does the brand team want people to connect um, with in their in their in their minds? So, for example, the concept of it being satisfying, mm-hmm. or revitalizing, or tasty. These are all relevant associations that will help the brand be compelling. Right, where are we up to? Uh, T test R. Oh, okay. You know, with any acronym, there's usually one of the letters that isn't quite as good as the others. Now, testament. Hey, let's not beat up on the pinata. No, you know no, I'm mean. not beating. Oh, oh, I see what we did there. Yeah, but if you look it up on uh, on, on whatever testament dictionary dot com, the word testaments it is it is absolutely spot on. So I allowed mm-hmm. it into my acronym. It's basically things that prove your point. You know, that are testament testimony to. Your point, and in this case, um, the fact that 
um, Snickers is full of things like nutritious peanuts and uh, the caramel, which has glucose. They give you energy, right? They restore you um, when you need glucose. Um, perfect. So that's the tea. And then fine, um, is it finally Pinata? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Assets. Now, this is the one I go on and on and on about. And I think it's something that a lot of brand people neglect or don't put as much focus on as they should, which is assets, as in distinctive brand assets highlighted again by the uh, Edinburgh Bass Institute as being important for brand success. And, oh, wow, I am absolutely passionate about the value that they bring. Um, They're they're things that just help your brand to be distinctive and memorable. And in the case of Snickers, um, just even the phrase, you're not you when you're hungry, Mm -hmm. is really powerful. It's a phrase that's associated with brand that helps it be memorable and connected to all the things I just talked about. Yes, and you've got a couple chapters on uh, distinctive brand assets and the, what they are and do's and don'ts. Very helpful. I want to go back to the area, where I think it's near the, the pinata section, where hmm. I found this interesting. You, you talk about the limitations of focusing on a subset of category buyers. Can, can you explain you know, the importance of moving away from these consumer segments and towards usage contexts. Yeah. I mean, the two are related, of course. Um, right. But, but in this, the past, it's almost like it was mm, maniacally, it was just segments within uh, uh, a Like user demographic base. or right, whatever. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that, that is one approach. But I think what, what I hope – we've all learned from uh, the Ehrenberg Bass Institute and Byron Sharp is that really what you're trying to do is you're trying to make your brand be seen and relevant and, and, and come to mind when people are thinking about a whole variety of different usage contexts. Um, the, Byron Sharp uses the phrase category entry points, mm-hmm. which is fine, but I find that a bit technical. I, I think they are just usage contexts, as in... Uh, like you know, being hungry uh, with yeah. the Snickers bar rather than saying this is just for um, uh, young people 18 to 24. Exactly, because, you know, that, that's fine. But actually there are people of, for example, 53, picking a, a random age out of the hat, <laughs> who, who sometimes get hungry, right, when they're on the go. So actually when you're hungry on the go and you need something to keep you going is a is a usage context or – category entry point and and actually it's better for marketers to think about how can we make snickers come to mind when people are on the go and they're hungry <laughs> that's that's what you want to do and that they could be of any age mm-hmm. that, that's how the brain works you know the brain goes oh i need something now um yeah so the, the, so i think segmentation based on demographics isn't isn't ideal i i think segmentation still has its role but it's more actually about how you segment your audience to efficiently reach them with media, which is a quite a different question if you think about it. Yes, and I think that um, it, I, I wonder if it's a hangover from the days of when advertising was much more uh, powerful and there was more of a, a captive audience. It's just a speculation mm. on my part. Makes sense. So, but uh, even on page 47, you're right, even a well established brand can grow by creating a strong connection with a major usage context. So usage, context, uh, very important. Let's jump to another uh, 
section, uh, you write, actually, it was the very next page, investors seem keen to fund technology-based brands, even if they've never made a profit. Uh, but yeah. this isn't wise, and you go on to write, profit-focused brands are better set for future growth. By contrast, unprofitable growth-focused brands have a comparatively smaller chance of making a long-term profit. Can you explain yeah. what is uh, a, what you mean by a profit-focused brand? Yeah, no, I think this is about your your, your business, um, not your business model exactly, but your business plan, your long-term business plan. Because I think there has been an emphasis on the idea that you just, you, you create something and it's appealing and you invest and invest to get loads and loads and loads of people using it. But, and this is where, you know, even companies like Netflix, Netflix is an interesting one because we'll, we'll see how that pans out. But, you know, you invest so much and you make no money. In fact, you lose money for a long, long time. I mean, right. many, many Amazon years. comes to mind as another example of that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. but, the, 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 but the point is, like, can you then convert that into profit, you know, by effectively, let's be honest, increasing your price later on once you've got lots of customers. Now, we, we've known that, for example, um, Netflix have struggled when they've tried to increase their price significantly. And but the reason for that is because whilst they've been building their customer base, sorry, whilst they've been building their customer base, um, competitors have come along. I mean, you know, Disney and in the UK, uh, Amazon Prime, they offer a lot um, at a lower price. <laughs> So, you know, the market gets competitive. So you, you have to be able to make a profit. Um, th there was an, a wonderful um, analysis that's referred to in the book. Uh, it's Johansson in 2009 that, that kind of looked at the, the companies that succeeded in the long term in, in, in terms of making genuine money. And it was really, really clear that it's better to start off as a small enterprise that's making a profit amongst a small customer base, because you've got something that people really, really, really want and are prepared to pay money for, and then expanding that around the whole world. I mean, you know, Ben and Jerry's did this. You know, Hogan Dawson and Ben and Jerry's both did this. You know, mm -hmm. um, whereas creating something that's wonderful because you've underpriced it and you're making a loss, <laughs> great. But when you try and expand that or try and – no, no. When you try and make money from that, you find it might not be possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's fundamentally important. It's all about value. If you can create something that is valuable to consumers at the price that you're asking for it, then you can extend that around the whole world. Yes. It's the uh, enhanced Ansoff matrix. Yes. Johannesson. Oh, uh, exactly. 2009. Yeah, page 49. Exactly. Yeah, very yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah. So moving on, uh, purpose-led branding is all the rage these days. It's what all the cool kids are talking about. However, <laughs> share with us what some of the perils are of a poorly done purpose-led branding. Well, I think it's, like, uh, it's tricky, this, because, you know, from a moral, ethical point of view, I would love to say that, you know, brands that are ethical and produce products sustainably, et cetera, are, are going to be more successful. But the data doesn't say that, you know. Um, so it's always, always a bit difficult to actually, you know, 
express the fact that actually companies that use purpose purpose driven campaigns tend to do actually less well sorry sorry those campaigns tend to be much less successful than others um it's just really awkward i mean it it's i think it's because um purpose a lot of companies have tried to create purpose when there isn't really a genuine purpose right. and that and that kind of contaminates the stats you know does that yes. make a- oh absolutely you say this you approach my- is likely to backfire yeah. If the company's actions are found to be inconsistent with the stance taken by its brands. Yeah. And let's see, on the next page you write, in the long run, only brands that practice what they preach will be able to leverage their connection with the cause they support. And it was this is you, you just touched on yeah. this. Uh, Peter Field in twenty twenty one did uh, research who and he suggests that uh, brand purpose campaigns are no more effective than any other type of communication. I was very surprised. No, they're not. But that, that could be because a lot of campaigns that are categorized as brand purpose aren't really. They're more just an advertising campaign that talks about some narrow aspect of, oh, of the company. Okay. Uh, do you see what I mean? It's, it's tricky. I, I don't think we've come to the bottom of this. I mean, there are clearly brands that have succeeded because they stand for something that a, a, a larger growing segment of consumers care about and are prepared to pay for. You know, and I think that's absolutely right. It's more your big corporations that have been around for it forever that try and advertise something that makes them seem slightly less awful than they than people <laughs> think they are. You know, um, and those don't work because people see through them. Yes, and a great line is on, let's see, page 56, where you write, commitment to a cause is a yeah. company decision, not a communications oh, option. Yeah, exactly, that's... Yes, I wish I said it myself. Oh, I did. <laughs> well, no, but, of course, you know. I, I just read the book, so <laughs> yeah, I'm a little exactly. uh, more up to speed on this. But I thought that was very interesting, and I, I you, you know, mm. we all want this. It's like we want to root for comp- uh, brands that are yeah. doing this, and obviously you need to have a good product. You're not supposed to be uh, – you're supposed to pay your taxes, pay your uh, employees well, have an uh, ethical supply chain. Um, don't break the law. All those are all those are good things. I mean, <laughs> yeah. and we want more of that. But then Absolutely. sometimes they, it's uh, what's the term? It's not greenwashing, but it's um, mm. yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, woke washing, or I can't remember what the term is. I've heard for this, so it's oh, not good. Well, let's go uh, to another yeah. section here. Well, let's talk a little bit more about distinctive brand assets. I'm glad you said that. It's my favorite. It's my favorite topic of all. We'll talk about what they are and how they are developed, uh, and and how they're often ruined. Well, they're developed by the brand team uh, with their communications, you know, agencies and media agencies, coming up with. Really well, what's cool- an example of some uh, distinctive brand assets? I guess I should have said first. Okay. Okay. I guess um, some of my favorite examples include things like, you know, um, Colonel Sanders. He's especially his 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 face and his little uh, what's that called? It's, it's, it's not a bow tie. In 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 UK we call it a bow tie, but it's not quite the same. Yes, I don't know. It's, is there a word for that? Thing? It it feels very Southern American. I don't know. If yes, it is. but anyway, it's part of the brand. His face in that silhouette is a very powerful distinctive brand asset that it's a visual one right 
um, you can have colors, more colors combined with a graphic. So um, Vodafone have a kind of uh, a speech mark, a speech bubble in a, in a circle that's um, colored in red. Um, but some of my favorite ones are more things like Toblerone, the chocolate Toblerone. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the sh- literally, the shape, which originally was modeled on, is it Mont Blanc in Switzerland? I think it is yes. um, where it came from. Um, that shape is incredibly distinctive. There's no other chocolate shape like that. That is a distinctive brand asset. But And my favorite of all, and I've done this most embarrassing video to illustrate these, and I would recommend no one to ever look it up on YouTube, but to look at rituals that brands have successfully connected to the brand to make the brand more distinctive. Um, things like Oreos, Twist, Lick, Dunk. Yes. Genius. Total genius. Um, in the UK uh, and Ireland and probably other places as well, I guess, um, Guinness, they've made a distinctive brand asset about around the idea of the fact it takes forever to to pour it in a pub or even with the widget, <laughs> you know, the, mm-hmm. the can with the widget. They created a, a ceremony. Is that the right word? I think it is. Around how you prepare the drink before you you consume it. The, and I, these, I've studied that yeah. ceremony for hours in, in pubs. You? Yeah, just Have doing you? research for my podcast. Sure, yeah. sure. And then did you drink them as well or did you just – Well, yeah, them? I had to – I had to, you know, in order to get another one, I had to drink yeah. it. So, but, no, that makes uh, sense. That makes I, I suffer sense. for my art, Dan. So. No, I get you. I get you. That 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 that's that's you know that's very honourable of you. Um, but also, um, <laughs> things like music and sound can be very powerful. Do 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 do. Sorry. Yes, okay? McDonald's or or even the oh. Intel. Hang on, that wasn't Intel. That was definitely McDonald's. No, no. Unless you're saying I, I can't, you know. That no, there's no McDonald's, I, which you talk about in the book, but also didn't I you did. talk about Intel here, where they had a, they yeah, had a certain. Okay. Oh, uh, can, can I attempt that one as well? Um, dong, do, 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 do. Yes, yes. Interestingly, I didn't realize that there were five notes of that. I thought it was, dong, 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 but it's not. It's. Now, I know that sounds like a little, you know, detail, but actually I talked to a sonic branding expert and they said, no, the first note with a slightly larger pause helps people to to, to go, oh, I need to listen now. Isn't that genius? Honestly, there are real experts know what they're doing. If you go to sonic branding experts, um, Mm -hmm. they know what they're doing. Yeah. And obviously, um, just to finish this off, you've got things like uh, words. Just do it is just do it for, from Nike is a, a brilliant distinctive brand asset. How are companies damaging their brand assets? Lack of consistency? Well, it's not that. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of companies fail to build a strong brand assets because they don't stick with them. Yes. Um, yes. For long enough. They don't use them consistently enough across channels and over time, and therefore they never build. Um, or they have an amazing asset and then they throw it away by deciding because a new CMO comes in that ah, we want to move on. And then they're wasting all the investment they've put into that asset. Um, right. I think you have an example of Tropicana orange juice doing that where they, they had a very distinctive right. visual uh, asset and they, they uh, ruined it and it cost they them a did. lot of money. 
Uh, temporarily, it did, but they they, they realised what went wrong um, quite quick, fairly quickly, and reversed it. But you're right, I th- and they had an asset. I, I love I love visual metaphors. That's one of my favourite kind of assets. And, and they had um, and and still have now <laughs> on their pack. You have a, a a fresh orange, an orange with a straw pushed directly into the orange. Now, for me, that signals so much implicitly. Mm-hmm. It says, this is like fresh orange juice, right? And, and, and that is very powerful. And then at one point in time, um, they removed that from the pack and changed the pack quite dramatically. And, they, and, and what happened was that people couldn't find their normal juice, the juice they've bought the last few times, the Tropicana orange juice. Um, and sales plummeted massively until they you know, reversed the uh, packaging. Well, let's uh, let me ask you. On, on page ninety six, you have one of your many uh, illustrations. It's this uh, illustration of a skull and crossbones. <laughs> so, with that visual in the listener's mind now, Dan, let's talk yeah. about death. <laughs> how how do brands die? And they do die. Well, they do die. I mean, normally they they suffer a, a long and painful death i suppose because they're well they do it's because they get neglected or or they stop investing in their assets or they stop investing at all in the brand and maybe that's a conscious decision you know to a cash cow no cash cow a fading star whatever it's called you know um to you know to to invest more in other things and that's fine that's that's normal but sometimes a brand can die through some horrible mistake by the company and I think that's probably what you're alluding to, right? Well, I, first off, I would mm. say that I wonder if the death of brand, individual brands is actually accelerating. In other words, <laughs> we're, we're in an era of even you know, the, the quick and the dead where it seems like if you look at companies that are on, let's say, a, a stock index like the S&P right. 500, the amount of time they're on there is, is shortening. Shorter. <laughs> every, every 10 years, there's, there's fewer uh, companies are staying on there. And I'm wondering if right. brands are dying even faster now. Well, yes, that's, that's quite possible because of technology, technology changes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's, that could be true. I haven't looked into this particularly, but there are lots of cases of brands that have died because they haven't embraced new technology or haven't prepared to change their business model fast enough and a competitor has come in. Um, yeah, product them. innovation seems to be uh, yeah. increasingly more important now. I think it is, yeah. One other thing on here, and I just <laughs> love on page 102, mm. oh, yeah. and this, is, this reminds me of where uh, – David Merriman Scott, the author of The New Rules of Marketing PR, he often writes this, and he, he says it on his, his keynotes, no one cares about your product except you. No. <laughs> it's no, such, absolutely. It's so true. And on page 102, you write, the challenge for marketers is that very little of what people experience in daily life is important enough to be worth remembering. <laughs> yeah, of course. So, yeah, talk talk about the role that creativity plays in in enhancing memorability and distinctiveness. And I often, you know, I wonder if creativity has taken sort of a back seat in you know the last twenty or thirty years with the decline of advertising. I don't know, just a theory. Yeah, well, I, I think the decline of you know what, what what you might call brand building advertising and the the rise of activation advertising certainly reflects that. I, yeah, I think it's really important 
that this is this is what I love to talk about, which is like fundamentally how how do people how do people's brains minds navigate daily life? And let's be honest, if we attended to every everything we were exposed to, especially every advertising message message, especially every advertising message, we'd explode. We're exposed to thousands of advertising messages in a typical day especially if we live in a city and you know commute or whatever um and we cannot attend to all of those things we can, we just can't um we've got other things to do we're trying to think about um you know which train we need to catch or what we need to do when we get in, into the office at nine o'clock or what what our partners are thinking about and you know <laughs> there's, there's there's too much going on um so we filter out most of everything <laughs> Right, and it's it goes back to what you mentioned earlier about the tiger. We're still looking for the tiger. The th- <laughs> our we're brains, our brains are such great filtering. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're scanning. Yeah, we're, we're scanning. In fact, preconsciously, we are scanning for the tiger. You know, mm-hmm. we are scanning everything, right? In case there is the exception, which and it is a rare exception, that something may be of danger or opportunity to us. Mm-hmm. That's the way I think about it. And a danger would be, you know, you're going down on the subway, right? And you're on the platform. If a tiger were to come along, it doesn't happen that often, I guess. Mm. You know, our our scanning should go, hang on, I think that might be a tiger, right? Mm-hmm. Do something about it. Or, um, for example, it might be someone on the platform looks absolutely gorgeous to us. Oh, probably a marketing book podcast listener. <laughs> Almost certainly. You said that earlier. You said that, that they were all attractive. I don't know where you got that data, but you did say it before we came on that. Oh, um, it's, yes. it's, it's researched thoroughly. Well, yeah, you did, you did claim that. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Trust sure. the science on that one. Yeah, I, tr- I trust you com- completely, Douglas. Um, but if you do, again, that's an opportunity that, you know, suddenly it's not normal. It's like, oh my God, there's something... There's someone, sorry, something, someone there that has grabbed my attention. Right. Okay. Or it could be somebody that you, you're afraid might push you onto the tracks or something, some sort of danger. Well, like the tiger. Yes, exactly. <laughs> We're getting confused now. I mean, tigers would eat you and or push you. They wouldn't push you onto the track because then they wouldn't. No, it doesn't matter. We're getting confused. Now. I just think the, listeners need to be careful on the subway. <laughs> we, we can leave it at that. No, no, you should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be careful on subway, but look out for someone that you find attractive. That's what we're saying. It's, there you it's, go. It's really, it's really straightforward. Mm-hmm. But the point is, your, your subconscious brain does this anyway. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you just carry on, you know, listening to your podcast of the, you know, marketing book podcast, almost certainly. Um, and you don't, and you don't, you know, you don't need to attend to anything else because it's just normal. It's, it's what you saw last, uh, yesterday, the day before, and the day before that. Mm-hmm. So, um, but that's, sorry, getting back to your question, which is where, creativity is important because creativity is usually means something different, original, interesting, right? Mm-hmm. So, okay. You get into the, into the, uh, carriage, the, the, the train carriage, um, you're sitting there, you look, you glance up and you see this really original ad, um, up, up above, what's it called? What are those ads called? I don't even know, but you know what I mean? Up, up, in the carriage ads. Oh, Okay. <laughs> 
Yeah. I think we need to, can we, can we just re-edit this with a technical term there? Um, otherwise I sound like I don't know what I'm talking about, but you know what I mean? Yeah. They're like little cards up inside the, the cards, the, frame. the cards yeah. above, just above people's heads. So you can still read them. You know, if something there captures your eye because it's different, original, interesting, suddenly you pay attention. If not, you won't. And and that's where, you know, the, the, the variability is huge between advertising like that, just, for example, on a, on a card in a tube, um, can either grab almost no one's attention because it looks just like any other ad I've seen a thousand times before, or something that grabs my eye for whatever reason, you know, and looks interesting, relevant to me. Now that can, can make your advertising like 10, easily 10 times, easily 10 times more effective. Yes, and there there are so many other opportunities for creativity. You know, like the a back to product innovation, or the way you uh, price your your thing. Maybe you have a different pricing right. program. All kinds yeah. of things. Right. Uh, the creativity is the really the the secret weapon. You mentioned just a moment ago about brand building and sales activation, and that's a big part of the the, the work that Byron Sharp has done. Right. Can you explain what is meant by those? two different ends of the stick, the brand building and the sales activation. And you, you started to touch on how the sales activation seems to have the, the upper hand uh, versus, I guess, brand building in you know the last however many years. A few years, yeah. yeah. Well, it's a useful – I mean, obviously, it's a model. And as I say, models are – you know, frameworks are – they're all wrong, but some are useful. <laughs> but I think that too many companies think that they should do one or the other when there's actually a mixture here that is really powerful. Yeah. Well, the evidence from um, Binet and Field in particular, I think is pretty compelling that mm -hmm. a mixture and, you know, whether it's 60-40 or 40-60, you, um, um, you know, the ratio of spend behind trying to do those two things, you need both. You know, mm -hmm. the, the, if you have a mix, it's more powerful. The, the concept is that brand building is the idea of making, building mental associations around your brand, right? I hope that makes sense. Um, in other words, making your brand a more memorable um, entity in people's brains. Mm -hmm. Okay? That's brand building. It's making it more memorable, and, and the more memorable it is, the more compelling it feels when it comes to mind or you see it. In other words, it's like, I think of it as brand predisposition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you'll meet, you, you, because of what you might call brand building advertising, the brand has lots and lots of rich and positive associations connected with it that fire in the brain when people come across it or think about the category. That's brand building. Now, that's all very well. But the thing is, um, people aren't always in the window for buying something. You know, even milk is not necessarily bought every week or bread. And cars are bought every, what is it, six years or something on average. Um, so you can still build a brand when people aren't about to buy it. You can build a compelling set of associations around the brand bef way before people actually are about to buy the category. Now, activation is all about triggering those wonderful memories and, and associations at a point in time when people are about to decide w which brand to buy. And that's, I think, what people call activation. It's like the, the two, you know, and, and you can, might do, if, if you're bought online, then, then Google search is a fantastic way of reminding people at the right moment when they're searching for, oh, I want to buy a wetsuit. 
I know that's a random example, but that's what I've put in my new book that I'm writing at the moment. Anyway, um, you know, I want to buy a wetsuit, and you put which wetsuit should I buy, or which are the best brands of wetsuit? Right, you're um, a little f- further along yeah. on the the buyer's journey or the sales funnel, yeah, or whatever you, you, you want to talk yes, about. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you're you're at that point where you you really need or want to buy it now-ish, you know, soon. Um, and you know, if you've already, uh, Quicksilver was a brand that came to my mind for wetsuits because it's the only brand I really knew. I d- I don't swim or dive <laughs> um and if that brand, if that brand i don't know why i chose the example a bit random well but clearly you have james bond on your on the mind but i do oh we could get onto product placement and amiga in a minute but anyway. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah okay i want to be james bond so i was thinking about this even though no. um um if if um those brands when you, you, you see in the search results, Quicksilver, da, 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 and you go, oh, yeah, Quicksilver, oh. I've heard of they? them. I've heard of them. Right, they, right. I think they're good, aren't they? That's what my brain is. That's what my mind is triggering. <laughs> I've heard of them. They're salient. They're good. Right. That's where well, the brand building comes in. Yeah. You're 10 times more likely to click on that link and explore it and possibly buy it. Yes. So I think that I just hear a lot of people say, no, we're not doing that glossy stuff. We're not doing that brand build. All we're doing is uh, – you know, just lead gen, just lead gen. It's like, yeah. oh, it, back to the book uh, by uh, Louis Gadima that I just mentioned. I mentioned earlier yeah. or that was on the show recently. He explained in chapter thirteen of that book about how the sales activation would drop off for a lot of companies not long after they stopped their brand building efforts. So that they really work together uh, quite well. And if you only try and do one, you're really yeah, yep. doing it kind of the hard way. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, I know it's. I, I almost wish that Binet and Fields analysis said it was fifty-fifty because it would be so much easier to explain. You need both. The, the, the data they come up with actually is there's a, a slight bias towards brand building on average, as in sixty percent of your budget spent on brand building. And 40% on activation is is the optimum. But of course, that varies by category anyway. So who cares? It's Do both. That's the message. Yeah. And you can start to tweak it. And you, you talk about how in cer- certain instances where you probably should do more sales activation and other instances yeah. where you, you might do better to do more, uh, to mix in a little more brand building. So sure. you're an expert on brand measurement, as I mentioned earlier. What, what are some of the the key performance indicators that that companies should be monitoring as it relates to brand building. Well, I think there's a, there's a hierarchy. Um, I'm trying to. I always try to simplify things as much as possible. I think there are probably if you if you want two measures of brand, let's call it. You know, if you're brand tracking or something, you can get a lot from just two measures. And actually, it relates to what we've just been talking about. One is. I think it's called. It's usually referred to as a spontaneous or unaided brand awareness. Mm-hmm. So that would be probably my number one metric. I would, if I were building a brand right now, I would measure. Now, it, effectively, it is saying that when you say to people, you know, what brand of wetsuit can you think of, right? Mm-hmm. What brands come to mind? Because that effectively is a simple way of asking about whether the brand is top of mind, you know, whether, whether or not it's salient enough to be worth, the, the brain will think that is worth considering, a good one. Uh, so if you ask me and I go Quicksilver, if that comes to mind and no others do, which is what happened to me, by the way, when I was doing this recently, thinking about it recently, 
Quicksilver has a massive advantage in terms of which one I'm going to buy just because it came to mind first, first, right? So that measure, and there are different versions of that measure, but some measure like that is incredibly important. But there is another metric you need to combine with it, which I would, which you would normally call consideration. Because there's two things. It's like which brands came to mind spontaneously. Yeah, there might uh, be bad. There might be bad. Uh, yeah. Yes. The, the, associations. Might, there are often mm-hmm. bad associations, or and, and that's where the the, the 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 consideration is more about the the rational side of the the brain that might overrule it, right? Mm-hmm. So, for example, what, I do apologize, Douglas, if I use this same example in our last podcast because I'm 54 and I cannot remember exactly what I've said to who when. But right when we I, talked when, before. <laughs> <laughs> who are you? <laughs> okay. when, 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 when I went freelance four years ago, right, and I'd, I'd had a company car for like 20, 30 years, actually. Yeah, yeah, nearly 30 years. And so I just chose a lovely company car and everyone paid for it. It was lovely, lo- the good old days. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, sure, sure. Um, but then I thought, right, I've now, I'm now a freelancer. And who knows if I'm going to earn any money over the next 12 months. We'll see. Mm-hmm. And guess which brand, and I needed a new car, obviously, because the company car, you know, had gone. Guess which brand came to my mind spontaneously as the brand I ought to consider? Well, the one that you had been using in the past? Interestingly, no. It was it was even better than the ones. Um, oh. And it was… A Jaguar? You're close. Land Rover? You're very close. Hmm. I'm going to keep going with this and until our oh BMW, no, Rolls Royce, a Rolls Royce. There you go. No, no, come on. I, I'm, oh, come on. You sh- surely you know me better, even after just two podcasts. No, I'll, I'll I'll put you out of your misery. It was a Tesla. Oh, okay. Because. It made me feel I'd be um, driving in the car uh, similar to Knight Rider from, and you'll remember that. Um, 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 half your listeners won't. You do remember Knight Rider, surely? I, I'm familiar with that show. I'm not sure I ever saw uh, it. <laughs> oh, come on. You must have. Actually, who was in that? It wasn't Hasselhoff, was it? It might have been. I think it was. I think it might I don't might know. Be if there's any German listeners, they can tell yeah, us because he's very popular in Germany. He's fa- I know. He's, he's popular in Germany. He's 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 a weird. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, exactly. So I thought I was going to drive that, and it, it it seemed so cool at the time. So that came to mind first, but then my rational brain, also known as my wife, said, "You can't afford that because you don't have any more income coming in." We don't. <laughs> so so I bought a Ford for the first time ever, and it's lovely, and I do like it a lot, and it was great value. But it makes you think, you know, this that both are relevant. Yeah, the spontaneous kind of gut instinct, spontaneous thoughts, and then your rational brain. And the thing is, for a, a purchase like a car, the rational brain has a lot of say. But in most small purchases or lower cost risk purchases, actually, the, the uh, instinctive brain has much more sway. Mm, yes. Mm. Well, Dan, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? It's got to be about distinctive brand 
assets. In other words, figure out whether you've got any and how strong they are. And if you don't, how are you going to build them? If so, I'm, I'm assuming I'm talking to a brand manager or mm -hmm. CMO here. But yes, it's it's grossly underestimated um, how valuable those things are in the medium and long term to your brand success. So focus on that. Well, what's one thing a listener could do today to put in action one of the many ideas from your book just to get them headed in the right direction, perhaps until the book arrives in the mail? Oh, I was going to say the piñata, but actually, because it's a long acronym. Um, <laughs> well, they could start, uh, no, thinking, they could start thinking through because, the acronym. Actually, you know, if they've listened you know, properly to, to this podcast, they can go through the, um, the, the letters of the piñata and start thinking, you know, where is their brand at? Yeah, I'd probably do that because that, that's, that's the step back that you need to take for brand building. Yeah. And let me ask you a question and put some pressure on you. Is there any chance I could get the visual that's on page 41 that you illustrated uh, to include on this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com? Of course you can. Um, it, you fact, probably need to ask the illustrator first. <laughs> I've asked myself and uh, <laughs> okay. he, he said yes. No, I, actually, this is a good uh, opportunity to plug my website, isn't it? Because um, you, you probably, I don't know if you've heard this from your other um, uh, authors Douglas, but no one gets rich from pub, you know publishing business books. <laughs> Let's be honest. Um, I I partly do this as a calling card, but I, I also do it because I genuinely want to you know share the stuff I've learned. Um, so I've got a website called well, it's www. Obviously, smartmarketing.me. Yes, I'm looking at it right now, oh, and we're cool. going to include a link to it on this episode's yeah, website page. If if you do that, then basically, I mean. I'm not sure the resolution will be high enough for your for your you know exclusive website, but um, pretty much, in fact, almost I think every image from the smart branding book and the smart marketing book are on that website. So if you want the full color version, you can just go there. And I've put a disclaimer on the homepage to say, look, if you want to use this, please credit me, but just go for it. Use it mm -hmm. however you wish. Just well, tell you what, yourself. I'm going to include a link because I'm looking at it right now. The brand okay. pinata example will do that for you. Ah, oh, perfect. There perfect. we go. All right. Good, good, good advice. So are there any um, recent or upcoming books that you recommend or looking forward to reading? At, at one point in our conversation, you mentioned you were working on another book. Is that true? I am. I, I haven't checked with my publishers about whether I can explain the name of the book, but let's just say it's about advertising. Oh, it's a it's a deep dive. Well, into you know, Martin Liu, the publisher at Lid, he yeah. seems like a, a nice guy. So I, I, he'll, guy. he'll probably he'll, he'll probably be okay. I, I'm sure it'll be okay. Well, no, I, I, to be honest, <laughs> I, hang on, wait, wait. I can say my my marketing book so far has been called the Smart Marketing Book, uh -huh. the Smart Branding Book, and my next book is about advertising. So let's let's face it, it's not going to take a huge leap of intelligence uh, to figure out the name of the new book. Anyway, yes, it's... Um, and it's You're a walking well. example of brand I, consistency. I know. Well, I do try. If not you, who? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so yes, the smart advertising book um, is is in... It's about 40% written, let's say. Oh, okay. And should be out next year. Oh, excellent. Well... Uh, early next year. I know a guy that interviews authors of new marketing and sales books. So, you know, 
I, I, I can oh, really? put you in touch. Yeah. Uh, yeah he's he's probably not the brightest bulb on the chandelier, but his guests no, sure. are really very interesting. Nice. Nice. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. We'll make sure to uh, – I'll, I'll keep a lookout for that. Anything else? Any other books you've heard of? Um, things I'm reading – I've started and am enjoying Why Does the Peddler Sing? Oh, yes. I've heard Have about you come that. come across book. that? Yeah, by Paul Feldwick. Yeah, yep. it's been mentioned a few times on the show. Oh, it's it's so far. It's really good. It's it's so beautifully written. And by someone who really has been at the heart of advertising development for, for a, a long time. So that, mm. that's good. And the other one uh, would be uh, The Illusion of Choice by Richard Shotton. Uh-huh. It's all about... Um, behavioral economics and i really enjoyed his first book the choice factory Mm -hmm. um so i'm looking forward to reading that one as well well terrific well at marketingbookpodcast.com we're going to include links to everything linkable uh including uh, your site and all the books that have been mentioned your linkedin profile your twitter account now a word to you dear listener please reach out to dan and congratulate him on the book and thank him for being a guest on the Marketing Book Podcast. Uh, send him a message and or, or post this interview on uh, like LinkedIn and tag him so he'll know that you heard it because you know he, he's probably interviewing on various podcasts. And when his next book comes out, he's going to say, well, which ones should I reach out to to come back to? So just help me out. And guests on the show have told me that they get the biggest kick out of hearing from Marketing Book podcast listeners and Dan not just because they're they're so ridiculously good looking. And if you are listening on your smartphone and you've subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app like Apple Podcasts, all these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on this episode's website link. The book is The Smart Branding Book: How to Build a Profitable and Resilient Brand. The author is Dan White. Dan, thank you very much for returning to the Marketing Book Podcast. You're very welcome. It was It's a pleasure. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. If you are one of the hundreds of listeners who have left an iTunes review, please let me return your kind favor by mailing you some Marketing Book Podcast bookmarks and laptop stickers. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world and I'll drop it in the mail. And remember the words of the entrepreneur, author, and motivational speaker Jim Rohn, who said, Formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune. Okay, whenever you're ready, let's lay down that intro. This is Dan White, author of The Smart Marketing Book, How to Build a Profitable and Resilient Brand. And you are listening to The Smart Marketing Podcast. So you may need to pull the email up because this is The Smart Branding Book. What did I say? You said The Smart oh. Marketing Book, which we'll oh, talk no. about. No, actually, you should keep this in because, uh, you know, I've made my fame out of The Smart um, marketing book. Yeah, um, well, there's also a smart marketing podcast with uh, marketing <laughs> props. This, <laughs> all right, this is the marketing yeah. book podcast. You, you could argue that this is a, <laughs> a, a, a bit of a fail. Let's we try again. All right. Do, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. This is Dan White, 
author of the Smart Branding Book, How to Build a Profitable and Resilient Brand, and you are listening to the Smart Marketing Podcast. Almost. It's the Marketing what? Book Podcast. What did I say? The Smart Marketing Podcast. Ah! <laughs> oh, you know, you can, you can, oh my God, you can see how that works, because I'm did, obsessed. It should words. be on oh, the email. It's I hope my, I... Bra- it's, it's my, <laughs> no, I do Douglas, I do know the name of your podcast. <laughs> okay. It's just I, I'm a branding expert, and therefore, if I can get the word "smart" in at any point, yes. I will. Well, I appreciate you know, the implication I, I, that it's a smart show because the sure, guests are, sure. but sometimes the host is a little. <laughs> yeah. All right, oh, let's try it again. Okay. God, this could be a long evening. Okay, here we go. This is Dan White, author of the Smart Branding Book: How to Build a Profitable and Resilient Brand. And you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Excellent. I know. Wasn't that perfect? Yes. First, first time as well. <laughs>